Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Good morning, church. Good morning. Please take your seat. Hey, it's, uh, it's always good to be in the house of the Lord. Um, I probably will cry today because uh, this is only my fourth non-funeral that I've been in the house of the Lord for two and a half years because COVID's really kind of caned us in South Africa. And uh, uh, I was in... I was in church last week in Canberra. Um, anyone been to Canberra? Yeah. We'll pray for you. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, no, it's a great place. <laughs> Actually, you know what? In all honesty, I was blown away last week. I was at a place called St. Matt's Church in Moniassa. 800 people in an Anglican church, thriving family church. I was so blessed. I was so thankful to be there. I really was. It was just a, a wonderful, wonderful privilege. Um, yeah. You know what, friends, I've had the privilege of preaching a lot in the last seven or so years, mainly in South Africa, and uh, a lot of us at funerals, um, and it's always in, in pretty strange places, but I don't think I've ever had the privilege of sharing the word on Easter Sunday morning, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled, um, which is not something that happens easily to me, but I really am. It's just such a privilege to, to, to share the word, and particularly to share the gospel but on this day of all days. But let's let's pray before we do anything else. Is that okay? Father God, we come before you and we give you all the glory, uh, all the honor, and all the praise for all that you have done, for all that you did on the cross, for all that we celebrate this morning on Resurrection Sunday. And Father, for all that you're going to do today through your word, through your spirit, we honor you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Well, friends, as Christian said, um, I'm, uh, my name is Andy Steele-Smith. If you want something to laugh at, you can work out what my initials stand for. I'll give a Fredo Frog to the first person who works it out. What the heck were my parents thinking? Um, but uh, it's kind of cool because it means that I can legitimately use the word ass from the front of any church in the world and get away with them. So these are my initials. So um, you know what? I've got the real privilege of being here today with, uh, with Christian and Melissa and the kids, but also with my daughter Matilda. And um, I was just uh, I was just reminiscing yesterday, uh, the last time I had the privilege of being with Christian and Matilda uh, in the same place, let alone ministering together, was 13 years ago in Los Angeles. It was a heck of a long time before COVID. Life was very simple back then. Um, but I'm, I'm thrilled to be here with, uh, with Tills, I'm my firstborn, and uh, at the very least for the first three and a half years of her life, my favorite. Um, and she, I think... I think it probably is, is a well-recorded fact that your firstborn is kind of always your favorite, whether you want it to be or not, because, uh, you know, the first of everything you go through is with your firstborn. Um, and I'm really honored that, uh, that she's here with us today. I really am. Um, my family and friends and employees in the business that I'm involved in, uh, they call me Andy, um, but as Christian said, in, in the townships and the ganglands uh, in Cape Town, I'm either called Uncle Andy uh, uh, or the gang pastor. Um, and uh, you know what, today is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and we're just here to celebrate the resurrection of the risen King, and what a privilege to be here. Um, today, I'm going to be talking on the greatest comeback in human history. It's kind of an easy story to tell, hey, Sorry. it really is. Um, but before I share a little more about that great comeback with you, um, I want to give you a little glimpse. I'm not going to actually talk too much about what we do in South Africa um, if you want to chat later, you can, but um, I kind of figure uh, it's not mine to take the privilege and the, and, the, and the place of honor away from Jesus any day, let alone today of all days. 
Um, but before I talk about South Africa, I want to honor um, Pastor Christian and, and Melissa. Um, and, and I want to do that not because it's a formal thing to do and not because um, it's, it's, a, um, it's a, a thing that we should do. But I want to do it because I love these guys. I really do. They've spoken wisdom into my life. And I've, I've witnessed what they've done over the last 15 years since I've known them. And there's not many people whose um, who's, who's pulpit I have the privilege of sharing that I can commend wholeheartedly and say, these guys are good people. You know, they've, they've, they've proven themselves to be faithful friends and servants to me over many, many years. Um, and I'm so thankful for that. I think if uh, Rachel and the kids and I moved uh, back to Australia, um, if my wife had any choice in the matter, she would say amen to that, but she's not here, so she doesn't know what I'm saying that. But if, if we did, I could genuinely imagine us moving to Noosa, and partly because of this house, and partly because of the amazing point breaking here in Noosa. Um, amen. Um, but it really is a... It really is a privilege to be here, um, and uh, and I genuinely call and have for a long time, even before I met Melissa, I've called Christian my pastor, um, and that to me is a great privilege, and not just because he prayed over me and I was healed miraculously, but he's a man who's who's led me, he's a man who's served me, he's a man who's spoken wisdom into my life, he's a man who's prayed for me, uh, and he's a man that I don't call friend, but I call brother, and um, as Proverbs seventeen seventeen says, a friend is for all seasons, but a brother was born for a time of adversity. And my brother has been there uh, with and through and for me in times of adversity. So I'm so thankful for that and I aim for that most, uh, most definitely. Um, and as Christian alluded, we, we share a really special bond uh, in that I had the privilege of, of being healed from this terrible disease um, by, uh, uh, by a man who was to become my brother. And how cool is that? You know, I'm sure a lot of people, or not that many perhaps, but a lot of people have been healed at different times. But, but rare is it that you would then have the privilege of befriending and becoming a real friend and a lifelong brother of, uh, of the person who had the privilege of praying over you. So, you know, Christian prayed, God healed, and we became dear friends as a result. And I'm so thankful. Um, so my wife, Rachel, and I had the privilege of ministering to a couple hundred thousand uh, equal parts amazing some parts mischievous, um, but, but definitely disadvantaged people uh, in the townships of South Africa. And we've been there doing that since 2015. This is my family. So Rachel is a good-looking one, the ugly guy. You can work out who he is. Uh, Matilda, my firstborn. Jemima, secondborn. Barnabas, thirdborn. And uh, he's, got, he's 14. He's got size 13 feet, the same as me. And Gabriel, our little guy, uh, he's 11. And in the back, not intentionally in the back, but in the back of the boys, we call our twin boys, Franklin and Junior. They're 21 identical twins. Um, this one's better looking, and this one's more intelligent. That's what they would say to you as well. And they've walked every, pretty much every journey with us in South Africa over the last uh, seven, seven years or so. Um, we, uh, we love being in South Africa. It's a great place. Um, a place with lots of challenges, but an amazing place. Is anyone, is anyone from, I know we've got at least two people here from South Africa. Okay, anybody else? Anybody been to South Africa? Amazing, amazing. Are you from South Africa, man? Yeah. What's your name? Do you mind my asking? I'm Claire. Claire. I'm going to put my glasses on so I can actually see you. I didn't know I was here. Fantastic. That's amazing. Well, welcome. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, I'm, I'm just going to share ever so briefly about some of the things that we do there, and then I want to get into the Word. Um, you know, the key lessons in seven years of... of, um, of working and walking alongside um, the impoverished people in the townships in South Africa. Probably the first one is um, just turn up. And um, these guys here, uh, are, this is the day 
September last year where we, they've been fighting um, two factions with the same gang and killed maybe 50 each side uh, over the, or 50 in total actually, probably to be fair in that particular gang war over the previous 10 months. And every day, every single day, we worked and worked and worked to get peace. And finally on this particular day, we got peace. And uh, so they're brothers again and, and working together to do good things in the community. Um, but the, 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 the first lesson that I've learned um, working and walking in the townships in, uh, in South Africa is just to turn up. Um, and that's a, a lesson I want to encourage you guys to uh, in exactly the same thing. It doesn't have to be in a dangerous place. You can just be down the street here in the main street of Noosa. Just turn up and just be present. And turn up on the worst days, not the best days. Don't turn up for the 21st parties. No one cares. Everyone's drunk. They don't remember you. But when you turn up at a, at a baby's funeral, they'll never forget you. And, and it's not about you being remembered. It's about the one who sent you being remembered, right? So just turn up. The second thing is, every good thing in life comes from relationship. And that's because that's what Jesus died for, to give us relationship with the Father. And uh, every good thing comes from relationship. So when you turn up and when you build relationships with people, do it not because you can impress on them whatever it is you want to do or bring. Just do it because that's what God would have done. <laughs> that's what Jesus did. Um, the next thing that, that I've learned uh, is that these incredible kids and young men, um, they need a father. Most of them, about 85% of them, their dads are dead. Um, so it really is a fatherless nation. And um, they need a father. But they don't need a father in an earthly sense. They need a father in an earthly sense because uh, he or myself or whomever else that might be has the privilege of pointing them to the father, to the heavenly father. And that's a, that's a, a wonderful privilege that I that I have, and, and I, I don't take that lightly. Every single thing that we do in the townships and the slums is about returning justice, dignity, and hope um, to the good people of these impoverished locations. But ultimately, that's the gospel. Jesus died to return, in fact, Jesus died to talk the justice, to take the justice that we should have taken instead of him. And then he died to return dignity and hope to a lost and a forgotten people. And, um, and I'm so thankful that I had the privilege of doing that in a small way in, uh, uh, in South Africa. Um, friends, I want to talk uh, to four different groups of people here today. Those who need a revelation of the gospel on this particular Resurrection Sunday. And that might be one or it might be none or it could be ten. I don't know. But uh, I pray that the Holy Spirit speaks to you today if today is your day. Secondly, those who need regeneration to have their faith restored and rebuilt. Those who simply need to be encouraged, um, who need a fresh revelation of God's love for them and for the power uh, that still exists today in his love. And then I'm preaching to myself too. The preachers and the pastors here today, it's been a brutal two and a half years. Has anyone not had a brutal two and a half years? Put your hand up and we'll, we'll come to your house for lunch. <laughs> it's been a tough time, right? And I think particularly those who are leading churches and, and, and parachurch organizations and so on, like my dear friends who I didn't mention before, Ian and Christina and, um, and Graham, who've come all the way from Agnes Waters just to be here today. Wow. Um, so I'm, I'm so thankful and so honored. And this man and this woman, these guys do incredible things in Mindanao. Like, you know, Mindanao, you're just as likely to get killed for not being a Muslim and let alone being Christian and white when you get off the plane. And these guys go there all the time and do incredible things. But they've also... Um, suffered terribly over the last couple of years not being able to minister in the way that they would usually do and so they've had to you know, be innovative and do things differently. So it's a, it's a tough season that we've all been through. Um, and I literally, I promise you, I literally am preaching to myself today and I'm preaching to myself 
to remind myself, actually, as Liz said before, of the marvel and the miracle in the resurrection story. I've been a Christian, I'm 54, so uh, I've been a Christian 44 years. Um, since I was 10 years of age, I was going to say since I was two, but nobody would believe me. Um, but I still need, this morning, uh, as I was, as I was uh, walking and, and, and thinking and praying about today, I was just, you know, I, I need this message probably more than anybody here today, at least as much as anybody. You know, it's a timely reminder that it's because of the death and resurrection of Jesus um, that we have salvation. But we also have access to the Spirit, the living Spirit of God living within each and every single one of us. And it's because of the death and resurrection that the curtain between us and his presence was torn and we were given the ability to also live a great comeback in our lives. Amen. All right. Friends, as we start to see the light at the end of the tunnel um, that we are going to call COVID, and I see that light not as a train bearing down on us. There's been a few of those false lights coming around the corner. But I really do think that this season is, is, is coming fast to an end. Um, I just want to encourage you. And the Bible tells us uh, that as believers, we're going to be afflicted. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy at all. And, and I've been a Christian a long time uh, when, when God really started to get a hold of my heart. And the second he started to get a hold of my heart, guess what? The devil started pummeling me. I'd been his friend before I'd helped him. <laughs> Didn't know I was. But as soon as God really got a hold of my heart, man, the devil came after me and started really causing issues in my life. You know what? When we're believers, it's not going to be easy. There's no two ways about it. But there is blessing and there is faith and there is grace and there is purpose. And we're so thankful for that. You know, um, I love uh, the simple scripture that simply says, this too shall pass. So let's declare that today over this season, shall we? And put it in our revision mirror. James 1 uh, says, uh, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if this passage speaks truth, and I believe without any doubt at all that it does, then I think because of the season of perseverance and the season of challenge and trial and and someone that we've been through these last two, two and a half years, that, that the church, the body of Christ, is about to be set forth to really change and transform the world because we've been through something and we've been through something together. And it's going to look different to what it's looked like before. And church is going to be different to what it's been before. Church is going to be outside of the building more than inside of the building. Great inside the building. Don't get me wrong. It's great to be here. But it's more about what we can do out there to impact the world rather than how we can just feel good on Sunday and then go back and, and, and be impacted by the world Monday through to Saturday. But if we only survive the battle with our faith intact, then as the word says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Amen. Friends, I want to tell you a couple of stories today uh, about great comebacks. And the first is about one of my boys, Preston. If you can put up the photos of the boys and I'll, I'll tell you when to stop. You get to him. Um, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Preston, you can leave it there for the next couple of minutes, please. So, Press is uh, an incredible young man. He's 37. And he left school age eight. Left school age eight. He was born into abject poverty and hopelessness. 
Um, he joined the Americans Gang, which is the name of one of the main gangs in Cape Town, when he was aged 10. Um, he is a sixth generation gangster. Is there anybody here who does the same job as their father? So a builder, yeah, right? Can you imagine being a sixth generation builder, but little and a sixth generation gangster? Because that's all your generations have ever known. That's the only thing that you, you ever had you could do. That's what most of these boys are. They're third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh generation gangsters. Preston joined the gang at age 10. At 14, he killed his first man. He was still a boy. In the world's eyes, it might have been considered a righteous killing. I certainly think it was a pretty fair thing, uh, all things considered. He killed his stepfather, who was trying to rape and kill his mom. In fact, I think it was a pretty bold thing for a 14-year-old to do. But he was still put in jail, and he spent a long time in jail. And that's represented the story of his life until quite recently, in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out of jail, or in and out of hospital. Um, I know personally of him having been shot six times. Um, six times, and I think more than that, but at least six that I know of. Um, but this beleaguered, beaten, and downtrodden young man in 2019, by the side of the grave of a funeral that I had the privilege of being at, he responded to the altar call and said, I want you, Jesus. And his life has been transformed. Now, all of his circumstances haven't been transformed. He still lives a life, relatively speaking, of poverty in a, in a, in a human physical sense. But every single day, I get messages from him saying, Morning, Pastor. God bless you. I trust you well. How are you? You know, he's still in the gang because there's really no way until until he can get out of that physical environment. The gang is the safest way for him to physically exist. But he doesn't kill anyone anymore. He hasn't killed anybody since he gave his life to Jesus. He still carries a gun. When he came to the airport to pray for me and farewell me, I was telling the guys over dinner last night, I had four gangsters coming through the beep, <laughs> beep. <laughs> I said, boys, go back to the car, do your business, leave things in the car and come back here. They kind of came back and they looked a bit lighter. I don't know why. But anyway, but, but this guy, since the day he gave his life to Jesus, he's, he's done incredible things. He's overseen or helped oversee a gang piece, a, 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 a miraculous gang piece that lasted about four and a half, five months during the first part of lockdown in South Africa. And... The press from all over the world gave me glory for that. He should get the credit for it. You know, ultimately, the Holy Spirit should get the glory, but, but Preston was, was the, 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 the genius behind it. He was the incredible man who, when I went to him and said, I want us to go and actually uh, create a gang piece and I want us to go and, and distribute food and soap and so on um, with the other gangs working together. Um, um, and his boss, Leroy, said to me, Andy, I love you, man. I'll do anything for you. You're going to get me killed today if you want me to go into other gang territories. Preston, with a, uh, an American face mask on, said, come on, pastor, let's go. And he jumped on the back of my truck, and we drove into every enemy gang territory. We had people coming out, guns left, right, and center. And, and like this guy is he's so bold. He's so courageous. He's just an incredible, incredible man. I pray that one day I might have the privilege of bringing him here. Mm-hmm. to share his own testimony. That would be pretty cool. He's been seen on documentaries uh, as a feature in the documentary. He's been seen by hundreds of millions of people around the world. His life has been radically transformed just simply by him saying, I want to follow you, Jesus. And, and in a human sense, undoubtedly, with the exception of the, of the cross, he's living the greatest human comeback story that I've personally witnessed. And I'm thankful for that. It's Easter Sunday, it's Resurrection Sunday, so it would be remiss of me not to tell you um, the story of the greatest 
comeback story in human history. Um, and I want to take a few minutes to talk about that now. Um, the message that I would usually give in, in, uh, in the ganglands, and particularly in a gang funeral, is the best time to preach the gospel when somebody's um, about to be buried. Everybody's considering their, their uh, mortality and, and salvation and so on. It's a good, good topic. Um, and normally I, I address this man that I'm about to, to talk to you about as the greatest gangster that ever lived. And the reason I talk about Jesus in that context is because Jesus died for and bought the things that all of these boys joined the gangs for. They joined the gang for family. They joined the gang for protection. They joined the gang for life. They joined the gang for, uh, um, for somebody that would die for them. All of those things are the things that Jesus did for us. And so I, a little bit cheekily, um, take the best of the world and describe him as the greatest gangster that, that ever lived. But undoubtedly, he was the king of comebacks. Undoubtedly, he was a king of comebacks. He came from humble beginnings. He was born dirt poor. He wasn't born in a hospital or a nice home. He was born surrounded by animal manure. And like most of the boys that I ministered to in the ganglands, it was a miracle that he survived the first year of his birth. From even before he was born, people were sent to kill him. And he was born to a great calling, but with what like, it seemed like little hope that his life calling would ever come to fruition. He continued to walk forward and to know that God's calling on his life was irrevocable. And he would perform and do things that were beyond the realm of anything that ever any other man has ever done or ever will. He was despised and he was rejected, just like my boys in the gangs. He was often feared. He was spat on, he was forgotten, he was ignored, he was hated, and he definitely wasn't treated as he deserved to be treated. Even the police and the government of the day wanted him dead. But despite the most extraordinary odds against his survival, this man, man managed to do more, to sacrifice more, and to achieve more than any man who's ever walked the face of the earth, or whoever would. And he conquered such adversity that if I told you the stories of the things that he'd done without saying I was talking about Jesus, you'd call me a common liar. And this humble young man, who was the same age as pretty much probably half of the people here in, in the congregation today, he died a brutal, gruesome, and agonizing death. And he died for his family. He died for his friends. He died for his enemies. He died for murderers. He even died for me, and he definitely died for each and every one of us here today. And that man, obviously, was Jesus. Isaiah 53, 2, in the message says, The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain, first hand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him and thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, crushed him, our sins. 
He took the punishment that made us whole. Through his bruises, we got healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've ever done wrong, on him, on him. You see, friends, this physically unremarkable but spiritually extraordinary man, Jesus, he so loved you and he so loved me that he gave his life for us all. He gave his life so that you wouldn't have to live or die a hopeless existence. And he died a hopeless death, but he was risen again into, uh, into eternity with the Father. And he gave his life so that you and I and everyone here today and everyone who's ever died before us could be reunited with the Heavenly Father, with God. And he did that so that just as he would have eternal life, you and I could be spared the penalty that we deserve, that he took on our behalf. So instead of us dying and suffering the pit of hell that he suffered for three days before he rose again, and he did that so that Liz and Christian and Peter and Noah and all of us here today could be spared that. And he did it so that we could live eternity in the loving embrace of our Heavenly Father. Friends, John 3.16, we've already spoken it today, but it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but should have eternal life. Friends, can you believe this man, Jesus, died for you? And I ask you that question, not as a preacher and not sitting here thinking, that I don't need to ask myself that question because I asked myself that question again this morning. It's easy to look at the mountains and to say God created the mountains, but it's really hard to say God loves me. doesn't matter how long I've been a Christian. doesn't matter how long I've had the privilege of, of pastoring in some funny places. I still need to ask myself almost every single day, does God really love me? And you know the answer I get is yes um, and amen. But he died for me, and he died for you. He really did. And he'll never let you down. We can let ourselves down, but he'll never let you down. And he'll never let you go. And he'll never forget you. He'll never forsake you. He'll fill your emptiness. He'll fill you with life. He'll fill you with hope. And he'll fill you with both hope and a future. I love that scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. And we, we, particularly in Africa, it's preached in church all the time. But the first part is preached. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you, uh, sorry, uh, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And then it ends. But it doesn't. It says plans to give you hope and a future. And if you've ever been in a place where you didn't have hope, what else didn't you have? Yeah. A future. I've been in that place. It's not a good place to be in. Jesus died so that we might have hope and a future. Yeah. Yeah. He'll never let you stumble or fall until he leads you into glory. Ever. Ever. Amen. So, friends, how can we receive this gift, this incredible gift of eternal life? Well, that's pretty simple. It might sound crazy and it might sound difficult, but it's actually pretty simple. The first thing is it requires us to have courage. And the courage that we have to have is the courage to cry out and say, Jesus, it ain't about me. I need you. I need you, Jesus. And then it requires a decision to change direction and to follow. You know, we're walking down this path, sinful, doing my own thing, and it requires us to actually turn, not be perfect, not get it right all the time, but to say, hey, that's the way I used to go. Yeah. This is the way now I'm going. Cool. And you know what? We're going to need the Holy Spirit to prompt us 
hundreds, thousands of times, sometimes, and that's just in one day, to say, hey, back on the path, son, back on the path. But it requires that turning. You know, Preston, as I said, he still carries a gun. Preston, he's still been shot since he gave his life to Jesus. But guess what? He turned and his direction is changing. And he weaves this way and he weaves that way. But he's always heading that way and he used to be heading that way. And the great thing is that Jesus promises to walk side by side with us every single step of that way. Um, and and, he, and he, he just, yeah, he's just, he's so good like that. He's never, ever left my side. Let me ask you, is anybody here a believer that believes that he's left your side? I didn't think I would get any answers yes to that. And if so, we're going to pray for you. There's times, don't get me wrong, there's times where I've, I've, I've thought he left my side. Many times. Many times that, that, that my faith has failed him, but not once that his faith or his promises have failed me. Not once. From the moment that we say, Jesus, I repent and I'm sorry, I need you. He promises to be our friend, our savior, our constant, and our guide. Romans 10.9, one of my many favorite verses, just simply says, if you believe with your heart and confess with your lips, that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's the gospel, isn't it? Yeah. We spend so much time worrying about whether we should be water baptized or sprinkled on our head or stand for this or sit for that, etc. But Romans 10.9, if you believe with your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Could have actually just saved a lot of paper by writing that as a Bible, but it would have been a little bit uh, not quite as complete. We've got to have the courage to confess and turn towards him and turn away from our past ways and then receive the gift of eternal life. And the key, as I said, is not about being perfect, but rather just keeping pushing in the direction that's the opposite of what we used to walk in. And we might go back to that sometimes, but, but to keep turning and to keep turning back, to keep turning back. So, friends, I want to ask you today, and I know that many people here today are committed believers, and I'm so thankful for that, just by the way. But I want to ask you today, um, if you're not already a committed believer, do you have the courage today to say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Jesus, I want you to take my life, which just curiously doesn't quite feel so broken and tragic as Preston's. I want you to turn it around, just like you've done for Preston and for Leroy and for Sunsi and for all these other boys and the gangs in South Africa. Do you have the courage and the conviction today to say, Father God, give me access to the same great comeback that you gave Jesus, your son, access to. But you can give it to me without me having to go through what he took and went through on my behalf. Friends, don't let today finish before you've asked yourself the question, where am I going when I die? How can my life regain hope? And how can I be truly satisfied? It's not appropriate to... to um, to speak this next example in a sense here as I would in Cape Town, but in a gang funeral, I'll usually say, I don't even know whether this young man here was a believer or not, if I didn't know the one that's lying in the grave or lying in the, in the coffin, but I'll say, I don't know where the, whether he's in heaven or hell, but wherever he's sitting right now, he is screaming out, listen to this man, because it's the most important thing you'll ever hear in your life when he says, what is the purpose of my life? What does it all account for? The great Christian writer C.S. Lewis said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation 
is that I was not made for this world, but for another. So friends, do you want to be of this world or of the other world that Lewis writes of? Church, Jesus died and he rose again for me. He died and he rose again for you. He died and laid down his life for us all. He took the greatest sacrifice. He died for us and he died because he loves us. And he rose again from the dead for the same reason, because he loves us. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.